Welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's guest is Virag Gulyas. She is a former diplomat to the EU, communications consultant, and journalist. She is also the New York City coordinator for End Jew Hatred, a grassroots civil rights movement dedicated to ensuring Jewish liberation from centuries of persecution and achieving justice for the Jewish people through peaceful, direct action. As a loud pro-Israel voice, a Hungarian and a non-Jewish Zionist, Gulias has created a movement that aims to change the stereotypes about Israel and the Jewish people one day at a time. She regularly writes and speaks about her journey and is well known for her blog, The Almost Jewish. We hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Okay, we are live. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Virag. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Did I say it right? You really nailed it. Yes, Virag. Okay. Thank you for having me. Uh, it is a pl- pleasure and honor, and um, it is the second time we are talking, because the first time we met at the, um, the rally against anti-Semitism in Washington, where you were a speaker. And uh, let me just introduce very briefly those of you unfamiliar with our very esteemed guest, Virag Gulias. Is that correct? Gulyash. Gulyash, okay. Uh, who hails from Hungary and uh, is a loud pro-Israel voice and a proud non-Jewish Zionist uh, who aims to change stereotypes about Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, Virak started out actually as a, I did a little research on you. Uh, you were a professional ballet dancer, which is very cool. You went on to study international affairs and then served as a diplomat uh, to the EU. And uh, Virag is now a communications consultant and a journalist who just earned her second master's degree in Jewish studies. That is very impressive. I don't know how many Jews have a master's degree in Jewish studies. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Uh, Virag is well known for her raw, honest blog, which is called The Almost Jewish, and you should definitely read her blog. And she's been working on several high-profile PR campaigns to combat some of the false narratives on Israel. Um, and she's also currently the uh, New York City coordinator for the grassroots movement called End Jew Hatred. Welcome, Virag. It is such an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Uh, tell us, what got you started? What inspired you to devote yourself to defending the Jewish people and the state of Israel? So thank you for, for the great introduction. I, I feel really honored to speak with you. And I think I mentioned to you that I read your book. I know about you. I know what MGA is doing. And so it was really like, you know, a great honor when your colleague reached out to, to have a talk with you. So to answer your question, um, it's, it's kind of like hard to answer by this time because it's been so long, the last seven years that I am in this niche. And uh, you mentioned that I'm a pro-Israel activist. That is how I define myself when I started out. Today, I try not to use that because it has such a negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I say pro-Israel, I'm automatically labeled as anti-something, and that's usually anti-Palestinian kids, which is obviously not the case. So how I define myself oftentimes nowadays is a common sense activist, which is you know, a common sense that the Jewish people has the right to self-determination in their land, in Judah and Samaria, in Israel. So that is, for me, the basic notion where I am coming from. And to to try to really answer your question, I'm coming from a rather anti-Semitic background. And everyone always, like, gets a hunch when I say that at at speaking engagements. But that's the truth. 
And it was not an easy label that I had to put on myself that that was my past. Mm -hmm. What I always say is, number one, we are all product of our own environment and the time that we are born into. So I was born in the 80, I was born in 85, Mm -hmm. was still under the communist regime. So we didn't have social media back then, you know, we didn't have internet. What did I know about the Jews? What I saw around me and I heard the Jewish jokes, the Jewish stereotypes. So when you are a six, seven year old kid, and this is how you, you know, have like the upbringing that that's what you hear in society, you grew up with the stereotypical view. And it doesn't make you a horrible person. You are an element or you really, you are um, uh, coming from the environment and you're becoming a product of that. Product, a product of your environment. And, and you grew up in a, you know, in communist Hungary in the 80s, 90s. Um, so, and, and what, so what switched, what, what happened in your life that caused you or inspired you to not only, you know, I guess, you know, ignore those anti-Semitic or uh, those labels that you grew up hearing about, but becoming an advocate for the Jewish people. I mean, I, I read your blog. I've been, I, I, I've watched some of your videos. I listened to your speech at um, in Washington. Uh, you're passionate and, and knowledgeable. What inspired this? So the easy answer is that I met an Israeli guy while I lived in Brussels. This is where everyone says, oh, okay, so it was love, we understand. <laughs> well, if that would be the case, then there would be so many more loud advocates or, or Zionist voices out there because so many people fall in love, you know, with an Israeli or a Jew. Right, right. So that was for me definitely the first element in this whole puzzle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That guy is not in my life anymore. And so ironically, actually, I mentioned in my last speech, that one of the reasons that we fall out from each other is because I wanted to move to Israel and and actually really raise a family that has, even though it's interface at the moment because I'm, I have not converted, but still, you know, make them grow up in a Jewish environment. And he he did not want that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the funny story here. But so it started with a guy. He definitely was the first element. He was the one who took me to Israel. Uh-huh. It is for me the switching. And, and, and really, the moment I arrived at Ben Gurion Airport, something happened that I can't explain. And you can, you know, call it a spiritual, I don't know, enlightenment moment or, or Hashem or God is speaking to us, you know, depending <laughs> on your own beliefs. But for me, that was a really big change when I went to Israel for the first time and spent there two or three weeks and went from Rosh Hashanah to Elat, through the Galilee, went to Judah and Samaria. And I had to question myself, why mm-hmm. am I so stereotypical towards the Jews? They are not really horrible people. Like they welcome me for Shabbat, regardless of their denomination. So the first time I went, I became like a good tourist to Israel, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. the beaches are amazing and Israel is a nice place. But then the more I went back, the deeper this connection grew. And also on an intellectual level, I wanted to understand more. So I think I've been back to Israel during the last six years or seven years, like 20 times. Wow. And every time it was like an other layer peeling mm-hmm. off from the onion. You know, I started to talk with the soldiers. I started to talk with Arabs in East Jerusalem. I went to, you know, Arab towns with with a, with a soldier who actually let me come into certain mm-hmm. areas that are rather dangerous if you are Jewish. So with this perspective, my whole life changed because then I come away from Israel and I saw the news differently. I started to see what the UN and the EU is doing vis-a-vis Israel. So for me, this whole double standard, again, the Jewish state 
started to you know get more highlighted and um yeah so the rest is history but really that was the the starting point and uh, by today it's it's not something and people ask me why i do honestly i can't even answer because it's just something so deep that it became more than just a passion it is how i live Wow. You know, that that was a great, I'm sorry, I just, I pulled out of there for a second, but I, I heard most of what you said. You know, it, it's amazing. I bring groups to Israel every single summer and people always ask me, how do you not get bored? I literally been doing it for over 20 years. And I just love the way you described how each time you came to Israel, you peeled off another layer. And maybe in the first time it was seeing Israel's high tech and Israel's the, the beautiful beaches on Tel Aviv, but you know that there's so much more depth spiritually and politically. Um, you know, it, it just kind of begs the question, I know APAC does this, how much, you know, you know, would you advocate us trying to just get more people to come to Israel? Do you think that would be the best solution, you know, to getting more people that are sucked into the narrative, the negative Israel narrative or the negative Jewish narrative? Because I think they go together today. Um, would, would one answer, as far as you're concerned, just you know, we got to wait for COVID to finish, but get as many people to Israel as possible. I definitely think that that would help. You know, there's barely any anything that, for example, we can do on the online world that is going to change perceptions. Mm-hmm. When you have a one-on-one conversation with someone, you can start something. But the best is really when people see and experience things for themselves. And it goes both ways. Eventually, it was Really, the whole thing for me, the, the blog started as, as my own self-seeking. You know, I was not trying to, to publish something. I had no idea what Hasbara is. So the first time someone labeled me as the Hasbara is, I had to Google the term. I, I was such a virgin. So I really just wanted to understand myself. And the almost Jewish also came up like that I feel sometimes that I should have been a Jew. So that was the closest term. And then I get a lot of criticism nowadays, you know, from Jews like, oh, you're either Jew or not. Understand that this is just, you know, kind of quote unquote, a branding term that I came up with when I was starting out. So when I get criticism for that, I'm just like, let that be the biggest problem. But to really answer your question, obviously, if if we could bring everyone with a stereotypical view against Jews and Israel to actually spend two days in Israel, that would be the best uh, way to to create a better future for everyone. But yeah. since that's not possible so far, you right. know, we have to have other tools. Right, and 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 let's get into some of those other tools. Why do you think? There has been such an uptick in anti-Semitism here in New York City. I just spoke for um, Ernst & Young, which is a big mm-hmm. accounting firm, and they asked me to come on to dialogue um, about anti-Semitism in New York City and what they, as a, a very large company in, in, in this town, could be doing to, be, um, to help their Jewish employees. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned to them, I, I, because I don't know how many people are familiar with this, I'm sure you are, but that the New York City... Um, uh, commissioner, police commissioner announced months ago that one third of of the over 300 hate crimes committed in New York City this year, 2012, were hate crimes against Jews. One third. And uh, I'm just wondering, what do you you attribute this to? Um, Is there something going on different today, let's say this year, than the last five or 10 years that this went up so dramatically? What do you think? 
So it's a loaded question and it has a lot to do with psychology, a lot to do with the COVID situation, but it also obviously with the recent situation in Gaza, I mean, recently in May, we definitely saw a spike. And whenever there is a situation in Israel, anti-Semitism grows and spikes everywhere else. And that Mm -hmm. is a proven correlation. That is already an injustice towards the Jewish people who live in diaspora, because when is, for example, I don't know, when... Jews, resp- Jews are responsible for Israel no matter where they, where they live. And, and even if you are a Jew who doesn't care about Israel, you're going to be targeted because of what's going on in Israel. And this is already sure. such a double standard because there's no other minority group who's being you know, targeted for what their so quote-unquote home country is doing. Most of the American Jews actually have never been to Israel or they never intend to go to Israel or they don't speak Hebrew. And yet, whenever there is a situation in Israel, they are being targeted in the U.S. So there was definitely a correlation in May and in June. And add to that two things. Number one, we were locked down for COVID for almost two years, right? And then suddenly came the BLM march, which justified people to go on the street and just exit and let out all their frustration right also shown that most people who went to the blm marches did not go because ideologically they wanted to be there but that was the only legitimate reason to be on the street and gather so you are facing a very angry society Mm -hmm. interesting very very angry society who is ready to do just anything and everything covid comes There you have social media on the other side, which immediately starts blaming Israel for COVID and the Jewish people because we had the hashtag COVID-48. That was the first trending things after COVID, again, indicating that somehow Jews are responsible for COVID. And then it just escalated. And then when the situation with Gaza happened in May and June, social media went out of order in that sense like there's so much hatred always on social media but because we were in lockdown sitting at home people got even braver and what happened is is that we normalized even Mm -hmm. more hatred and anti-semitism and an anti-jewish speech and really all this violence we normalized that online so what happened after is that people went on the street and acted on that So what you normalize online won't stop online. It's going to go on the street. This is why we had those young guys being attacked in the sushi restaurant in Los Angeles. This is why we had all those Jews being attacked, you know, in Brooklyn. And we normalized it. And there are zero consequences for Jew hatred. And that is why it's spiking, because it's okay to do that. And, And do you think, just going back to something you just touched on, when you talked about that the only way to, for people to get out during COVID was to attend these rallies. So is that how perhaps the Black Lives, you know, Black Lives Matter movement somehow got polluted, if you will, with this, with the, um, with this anti-Israel rhetoric? And, and, and it wasn't all over the place, but it was there. And it was difficult for a lot of New York Jews, including myself. We wanted to support our, our African-American brothers and sisters but then you're at a rally for Black Lives Matter and there's some, you know, Palestinian sign anti-Israel going on. Mm-hmm. Is that how it crept in? Absolutely, because of intersectionality. You know, that's a that's a very juicy term that again got so perverted. And if you know American history, 
blacks and Jews always like rather Jews always have the black civil rights movement. This is why you want it as a Jew to be there and support also now the black people. But vice versa, because of the lack of education, it does not happen. So when a black person looks at a Jew, what he sees, not another minority group, but a privileged white supremacist group. Mm-hmm. As a, and when you see, when you talk about the black community, you see an underdog victimized community. And this is why the two minority groups are not treated the same way. So when, you know, Palestinian flags are being flashed all around the BLM uh, marches, it was because of that. They felt that blacks and Palestinians suffered the same way. So let's connect that. And it is an absolutely smart strategic PR stunt from mm-hmm. the Palestinian supporters, which is false ideologically, but most people on the street don't care about that. What they, they don't support. care or the, you know, that nuance gets lost. Yeah. But you know what's interesting also? Now it helps explain something else because when I was at Ernst & Young and I shared that 33% of all hate crimes in New York City were against Jews – the people in the room with me, it was an online, you know, we had over 500 people that came online. There's only about half a dozen people in the room with me and they all, their jaws dropped. And I said, nobody knows this because for some reason, <laughs> when there was um, uh, violence against uh, African-Americans and there was violence against Asian-Americans, there was a big public outcry. But for some reason, some of our politicians, and I'm not going to get specific, and some of our big celebrities, I'm also not going to get specific, were super quiet about anti-Semitism and were very vocal when it came to Asian American, you know, violence against Asian, as they should have been vocal, and and violence against Black Americans. Is that why you think? Is that just the Jew has now become part of the white privileged society? Therefore, you can't feel bad for them, even if they're being beaten up for their ethnicity. Again, there is like at least three points to answer here. One, yes. And Barry Weiss is considered more of on the left of the spectrum, right? But if you read her book, I can totally understand what she's saying. And she mentioned this, how Jews are always the rich one, always here. So you, they are a minority group up on the pedestal, hence the stereotypes. Whereas every other groups, the Asians, the LGBTQ, the Blacks, they are always here. So this is why you guys as Jews, as a collective group, are easily hated. Even though there are so many like Holocaust survivors in New York are living under the poverty line. Right. Some of them are really not, like really living under conditions that nobody should. But nobody thinks about that. So, And, and just to jump in, I mean, thankfully, there are many Asian Americans um, who are doing very, very well. I mean, I think uh, uh, broadly... I mean, there are many African-Americans doing well also, but but I guess statistically, you know, it's a little more obvious with the Jew, but it's pretty obvious with the Asian-Americans too. I was trying to understand that. I'm trying to wrap my head around all this. There is really a lot of um, the prejudice and the stereotypes. And, you know, as someone who is an immigrant to this country, I, I, I have one, say, one thing to say. The only privilege anybody ever has is to be born to be an American. Because if you are born American, you have so many opportunities regardless of your race and color and things like and you know i lived in harlem purposefully i lived in harlem for two years i wanted to be there to understand what is this black white culture that you guys in america have going on because from where i'm from we don't really have you know an african-american population so i spent hours with the guys from the housing projects wanting to understand what's going on 
and you understand a lot of the nuances. And they had zero problem me calling them black. They actually liked that. They called me the white girl. So only when you politicize this, this becomes a problem. So this being said, um, uh, attacks against Jews, unfortunately, are, as we see in New York, for example, are also not treated as a hate crime. And the moment you are loudly saying that, okay, Jew hatred is something bad, you become a target yourself. Mm -hmm. For me being not Jewish, but doing what I'm doing drives a lot of death threats towards me, closes doors for me in so many aspects of my life. Dating is is so challenging that I cannot even you know describe because it's a sensitive thing. It's almost like the first thing I need to mention. You know, I'm actually a Zionist. And it becomes a curse word. And, and there are guys. You bring that up on the first date? Of course. For me, it's a filter. You know, I mean, I can't, how, could I, how could I date with someone who is marching with BDS and asking for, you know, the, the destruction of Israel? That just doesn't work. So, yeah, unfortunately, we are so polarized and it should not be. And, and there is a lot of misunderstanding of vis-a-vis Israel, the term Zionism and, and this whole thing. So for me, Zionism, and I understand where it comes from, and most of you always start 3,000 years ago, but you lose a generation there because right, most, right. most of us don't even know what happened two years ago, historically, <laughs> let alone 3,000 years ago. So what I always say, it's a civil rights movement. And as a Hungarian, I have the right to my own country then the Jewish people have the right to their sure. own life. Sure. And, and let me thank you. You answered that so beautifully. I, I have a question now. Um, you know, we could spend a lot of time, and it's easier in a sense, less subtle, white supremacy, you know, the anti-Semitism that comes from the right. We're, we're spending a little time, you and I right now, talking a little about the anti-Semitism that's coming a little more from the left. So I get somebody who's yelling, end the Jewish states, throw the Jews into the sea, I get that that is that, you know, that's clear and overt, and we're not going to have an issue. The problem that I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm at, and I'm wondering where is the line when you have a celebrity who says, or it's a politician, or it's anyone of influence in our society who says that I have no problem with the Jewish people, I have no problem with the existence of the Jewish state, but what what I do have a problem, and I'm just expressing legitimate critique of a sovereign government and the way they're handling the Palestinians and that they, you know, when, where's that line of anti-Semitism for someone who doesn't call for the destruction of the Jewish state, but, but does say that Israel, but does condemn Israel every time she defends herself against Hamas rocket attacks. So, so the moment an influencer calls out Israel and only Israel, and only Israel, and only Israel, you've got an anti-Semitic problem there. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you can be an influencer and use your platform for awareness. But then talk about Iran, talk about Iraq, talk about Syria, talk about the persecuted Christian kids that are being massacred today, and nobody talks about that. So the moment you have this obsession and fixation on Israel, you need to question your moral ground. And mm-hmm. then, then there is something off there. Israel can be criticized. Every country can be criticized. But when you cherry pick, you know. Okay. So the word, the, word, the word I'm underlining, I'm taking notes when you speak. The word I'm underlining is only. Yeah. Meaning if you are critiquing Israel for these policies and you ignore or say nothing about other countries who have much worse 
you know, you know, human rights records and and so on and so forth. Um, and and um, so, what what do you do then if um, you know? Because I said this, I mentioned this that what does it mean if you tell a country they can't fire back, or if they fire back into population centers because that's where the rockets are coming from? And we can show through Israeli intelligence that the Hamas terrorists are firing rockets from hospitals and mosques and community centers. And well, the best we can do is drop leaflets and tell everyone to get out of the building. But but if we don't fire back, so can you call someone an anti-Semite who says you have no right to fire back because there are children in that building? <laughs> yes. My answer is yes, because you need to question yourself. What would you do? And the, mo- and the problem here again, Seriously, the moment we legitimized a terrorist organization as as an equal partner to have a dialogue with, we became part of the problem. Because everybody who wants peace, everybody who feels you know bad for the for the Palestinian people at large need to understand that they they're fighting the bad fight when they are pinpointing to Israel. Because everybody Communally, we should have one target, and that is the terrorist organization that is the leadership. But the moment you justify the action of a terrorist organization, you are part of the problem because you lost your moral compass. Mm-hmm. It cannot be that terrorists are projected as freedom fighters. It cannot be that Layla Khaled, who hijacked two planes, is a hero who is okay to speak at San Francisco State University. These things under a, a normal morally-led uh, society cannot happen. And again, it doesn't matter what Israel is doing or, or what not doing and things. We need equal partners. And that should be true democratic leadership. And then we have something to talk about. But we made a huge mistake, legitimizing terrorism. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Thank you. You know, you just said something. We need two equal powers. I always marvel at the fact that that Israel still has a peace treaty with Jordan and with Egypt, and um, and now the peace treaties with you know under the Trump administration that were developed with some of the Sunni countries. It's an unbelievable thing. How do we get more people to learn history, to be aware? Of, I'm not even talking about ancient Jewish history. I'm just talking about that in the 1990s that there were these generous offers on the table. And they weren't perfect, but they were real offers for Palestinian statehood that were rejected outright. Um, you know, President Clinton actually famously in his memoirs wrote that he told Yasser Arafat at the, at the end of the of the accords that you'd made me a failure. How do we get more young people today to be aware of the gestures that Israel has made and continues to make, the overtures for peace, the sacrifices that Israel and, and that most Israelis want to want the Palestinians to have their own state. They don't want to continue to occupy another people. Well, how do we get that information out there? Because it's obviously getting lost in the sauce. Yes, I mean, so much noise out there, really. So when you talk about younger kids, let's say we talk about college campuses or even earlier high school students, you need to humanize the other side as well. So everyone created a political issue about this Israeli-Palestinian, actually it's Israeli-Arab situation. 
you forgot that there are humans on both sides. And I'm definitely not a kumbaya kind of person. Like I am becoming more passionate as I age. So when I started in this niche, I was like, you know, you go get it. Like I was really, really hardcore on that sense. Today, I'm more patient. I'm more, mm-hmm. I have more ability to listen, ask questions, trying to understand the other perspective. It's, it's not an easy thing that you are asking, but um, humanize. You need to, for example, when there was this huge scandal around the Iron Dome, you need to explain, and the people say, yeah, but Israel has the Iron Dome, and how many kids are dying on the Palestinian side, and basically barely any kids die on the Israeli side. Mm-hmm. Ask the question, but if we would not have the Iron Dome, Israel <laughs> would not exist anymore. Yeah. So, here is a very human example. If you rabbi gets $500,000 and I got $500,000 as, as a foreign funding or something, and you decide you're going to be the good guy, you decide, you know, to spend it on research and development and, and come up, you know, come up with ideas like the Iron Dome. And I decide to dig tunnels and teach and, and have summer camps for kids teaching them for Jew hatred. Why are you to blame for my stupidity? And this is what people don't understand. People always think that Israel gets so much money from America, especially. The Palestinian Authority and, the, and Hamas get way more money, way more money as foreign fundings and foreign helps. They just decide. From, from other countries combined. Yes. Right. Yes. And they just decide to spend it on something that is destructive and hateful as opposed to something good. So when you go to these kids on college campuses, also- so how do we get, how do we, how do we, that last point, Virag, how do we get the world to know how the Palestinian authority, the Palestinian leadership, I don't mean Palestinian people, people are people. And, I'm, and I, and I know that there are good Palestinian people on the other side, but the leadership has just been uh, like, how do we get the world to know how they're spending the billions of dollars that are, that continue to pour in to their governments, to their political establishments, whatever we want to call them. Um, but why is that not what better known? It's it, it's let alone that it's not better known. But even when people, I never gonna understand how is it more appealing for people, especially in college campuses, for example, to join groups that are okay with violence as opposed to joining groups that are opening up for dialogue. And I, if you ask me, it's all a lot of psychology on, on college campuses and high schools, because you want to be part of the cool kids club. And today the cool kids are the ones who are anti-Zionist, anti-democracy, anti-sovereign countries, anti-everything that is, quote unquote, leads to some kind of moral life. Being a cool kid today is joining the pro-Palestinian groups, joining, you know, everything that is destructing the current system. And as a young person, we always want to, you know, question the society we are living in. So that's good. Right. But we perverted terms and, and kids today have such a lack of knowledge because they get drip drops of information, especially on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook. They, they don't know the depths and the nuances. So another aspect to this is that this generation, especially in the U.S., grows up without, honestly, without a general understanding of why they live for. 
What I mean by is that I was still born into a communist regime. And even though I was young and that the Russians already left, I still grew up under a society that was very oppressive in a way. So I had a goal in life, first and foremost, be able to travel, be able to speak English, which was not given to my parents. American kids at my age, and I'm generalizing, their biggest question is what kind of car to get after I graduate from high school. So they are missing the, right. the moral challenges that would make them grow. So they feel that if they join a pro-Palestinian group, for example, and they stand against Zionism, which is such a horrible term, they get some kind of fulfillment. They become mm -hmm. better people morally. That's, that's their thinking. You know, we belong. We help the underdog. We help the victims. They're not going to go into the details of history or question their, their own views on that. They want to be the cool kids. Wow. Well, I want to ask you one last question, if that's okay. First of all, this has been incredible, and you are so knowledgeable, and you come to this whole issue with a fresh perspective just from your own, your own unique you know, background. Um, I'm going to ask you a question now as, as a rabbi. We've been talking a lot of politics and perception you know, one of the things that I've devoted my life to, and you read my book, is trying to demonstrate the profundity, the beauty, and the brilliance of Judaism. Because I feel that in order to really inspire people to take their Judaism more seriously, to be more committed, and as a result, be more positive about Israel, okay, they need to have more Jewish pride. And um, I can give you a whole two-hour discourse why I don't think uh, why young people today are not growing up with a lot of Jewish pride. What do you think from your perspective would inspire more Jewish pride, more interest for a young Jewish professional living in New York City or wherever to study more about their heritage, to learn more about their history, to be more devoted to Israel? What, what do you think it would take based on your experience? Hmm. And yeah. I know, by the way, I'm sp I know this is a tough question because I'm like, I'm specifically asking, I don't get to interview people who are not Jewish, but so passionate about Judaism. And so this is an opportunity for us to hear from someone, not of our own people, who clearly are, you know, is, is inspired, you know, and passionate about Judaism. How do we get our own <laughs> people? So I'm going to answer with something that might trigger you, but this is not purely a Jewish issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I am not a practicing Christian. I was baptized because I was a baby. Nobody really asked me. I left church when I was 14. So I want to put it out there because in America, you know, it's a delicate thing. Oh, a non-Jewish Christian, probably evangelical or messianic. I didn't know those terms, so I'm not that. But every religions are losing their people, losing their youngsters. And when you talk about pride, the current generation and the one that is really growing up now in high schools, they are not proud of anything. They are not proud of, of being an American. They are not proud of their own flag. They are not proud of their own national anthem. So again, this is like, they just want to revolt against everything, hence also Judaism. For them, it seems like an archaic, archaic something, you know, again, from 3,000 years ago. I think where, where you are doing a great job is to make Judaism translatable and manageable for this contemporary life that we are living. That I know that you're using social media and you're using it very, very nicely. Thank you. I, I really think that the moment, uh, and also like 
Jewish pride is very delicate, especially in New York, because the moment you are a proud Jew, you become a target. You become a target. And this is why many people go to college campuses and talk to those kids. Don't talk there. Talk, talk in the high school. Because if those kids in the high school has already a very strong Jewish identity, then they're not going to be broken down in college. And they're in not going to be broken yes. although, so although, although, from there. Although a lot, of, um, a lot of Jewish day school graduates who go to secular colleges are intimidated. They are, they're not so well trained how to take on a pro-Palestinian activist. But I want to go back to something that you said earlier, um, and that is um, that you, you're saying that this is not a Jewish issue per se. It's something that the Christian, the church is dealing with. This is that a lot of religious groups, because young people today are not getting excited about the things that about patriotism, about their faith. These are kind of things look like like they're passe. And you said something earlier before, which is that they do want to feel fulfilled. I know this from my own students. I absolutely adore. And you're always welcome to come, uh, Virag, to MGE. I know when you, whenever you're in New York City, you know you have an open uh, open welcoming to come. But I, abs- I love my students. They're in their 20s and 30s. They're Jewish, but not terribly, you know, affiliated or committed observance-wise. They didn't. Some were raised in the Orthodox world. Most were not. But they are. Everyone's looking for meaning. Everyone's looking for purpose. Now, you just said a few minutes ago, people are finding meaning and purpose by embracing the underdog, right? And not by embracing the love of their country, the love of their religion. And I and I think that's a really important thing for for us to hear that this is not it's not like something going wrong within the Jewish people per se. It's 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 a millennial, I guess, issue. Yeah, and the Generation Z and and all that comes after it's even harder. You know, everyone wants to be a global citizen, and and you see these videos today that nobody needs a house, nobody needs a flat, nobody needs an, a job, nobody. You just need to travel and be a free-spirited hippie in that sense, which is beautiful. But eventually it backfires on us because everybody needs a grounding. Everybody needs to believe in something. If you ask me, I don't even believe that people can be atheists. I don't believe that that concept exists because you might not believe in God, but you believe that in yourself. And your self-belief is basically believing in God. So when people say, oh, I'm an atheist, you really cannot be an atheist because you always believe in something. You just name it differently, you know? I've been saying that for years. <laughs> really? Okay, then I didn't hear from you. I've been saying that for years that, you know, if what is what is it about you that you believe in? Yeah. If it's just a physical part of you, the way you look, the way you sound, how much money you make, and it's not something deeper. And what is it that that is, you know, deeper? <laughs> what is it that's beyond the physical all right, and that's that's all inspired by God. That's where religion comes in. So I, I don't think you can escape it. And I think if you keep pushing people, you know, intellectually, even, you know, where are you going with this? How are you going to find meaning and purpose? It does come down to seeing ourselves as not just bodies but also souls. Right, and you know, maybe maybe actually this might be an answer how we can motivate more young people to come to Judaism, for example. Whenever I have a hard time nowadays, I look up a rabbi (laughs) and I find so much meaning and it usually calms me down. And I I, I, sometimes I really wish I would have grown up in, in, you know, like a a Jewish environment. I feel like I would be 
I would have found my contentment earlier than, than now, but that's my own personal journey. But when people are today so much into this manifestation, law of attraction, law of this, actually, this is also what Judaism is about. The whole spirituality that you say, thank you before you feel it. You say, thank you before it comes to you. This is the whole thing. You believe in God before it appears in front of you. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you translate these things into a contemporary, very trendy, very viral language, eventually people think that they are against Judaism or against religion. They are doing the same. They just, you know, switch the words. <laughs> so, and by the way, I'll just tell you a beautiful thing that you just touched on. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the blessed memory, said that, um, you know, the first prayer that we say when we arise in the morning, we say the Moda'ani prayer. So he asked the question, if you look at the Hebrew, it really should say, I thank you. But it's backwards. You're talking about changing the words. It's thank you, because we don't want the first word that comes out of our mouth in the morning to be me. Mm-hmm. It should be thank you. Mm-hmm. And I think these types of messages are, I, I think, I mean, I see this in my work, are what people are looking for today to find meaning and purpose. And we just have to do a better job of getting that information out there and of trying to show people that believing in your country, when it, your country stands for the right things, not everybody, not everybody, not everybody country, not everyone's country does. And believing in your faith system, assuming that you believe in its tenets, can really help create a more meaningful and purposeful existence and simply running after the new movement that's the rage, because that's what everyone's saying and doing without considering the facts and looking at the history mm-hmm. is just is it, i mean that's really where we're at today and if um, you allow me like one closing a statement on that basically i always say when people ask me how can i you know change something not everybody needs a master degree in Jewish studies not everybody needs to rally on the streets not everybody needs to become a journalist or whatever but we all have a role to to take part in bettering the future so maybe invite your neighbor for a Shabbat dinner and you're going to be surprised that that one Shabbat dinner, when you explain to them what it is and how it is done, you're going to change that one neighbor of yours. And that's enough because that's going to be a ripple effect. Yeah. I really, really believe. And, you know, why we started off that I am coming from a rather anti-Semitic upbringing. That was pure ignorance. That was not hatred. That was ignorance. So you have at least two big categories of anti-Semitic remarks. You know, one comes from ignorance. The other one is a conscious hate. Don't deal with the conscious hate. That's like an advanced level. But if you want to do something in your neighborhood, then if someone gives you an anti-Semitic remark, educate that person. Don't assume that that person actually wanted to say something bad. Probably doesn't know any better ask or do you know that actually that was hurtful to me what you said mm-hmm. and this is what the lgbtq community did perfectly and the black community they educated you so today saying something um that so they educated you every on everything that that hurts me because of this you cannot right. say this because of that yes it goes into a vocism and goes out of control at one point but the intention was good yeah yeah and this is what i think the jewish community should do embrace a little bit more and don't assume the bad immediately don't cancel out people immediately give them at least three chances if all the three chances you know they come across anti-semitic we got some problems but the first two occasions give them the benefit of doubt we are humans beautiful what a great message thank you so much virag i really 
appreciate your time and your intelligence. Um, Virag's blog is called The Olmist Jewish. She's all over social media, and you should just just Google her, check her out, and just continue you know, to listen. And I invite you anytime to MGE. It would be an honor and pleasure. We should really hire you as one of our educators. You're so inspired and inspiring to listen to you, and I, I thank you. I mean, I don't represent the Jewish people, obviously, but on behalf of MJE, <laughs> we thank you for your for your love and for your passion, standing up for Israel and for the Jewish people, and doing it in a in a way that really is inclusive and can bring other people in and give other people, as you say, a chance. I really um, appreciate all your amazing questions, and you keep me awake after three hours of sleep. So I need to put it as a disclaimer: I am so pregnant. I had to remind myself today that today is Monday. I've been after conferences and and still at a conference, and actually at a lunch break. So I hope I I I could actually you know convey the message that I wanted. You and did I'm beautifully. Confident. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate. It. Get some sleep. Thank you so much. Bye. Right, thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.